It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation we're going to have. I'm going to start off with the subject of bison or buffalo, depending on how you want to look at it. You may have heard in the news this week that uh, Yellowstone Park is going to do a culling of the herd, some five to 600 animals, maybe more. Uh, out of a herd that's estimated to be between 5,000 and 6,000 animals. Uh, why is this news? It's news because the buffalo population or bison population in Yellowstone continues to expand at levels beyond the carrying capacity of Yellowstone Park. And bison carry a disease called brucellosis. And brucellosis is fatal to cattle. And when it gets into a cattle herd, it it destroys the herd. And therefore, bison leave Yellowstone Park because they don't have enough food or they leave because, well, they leave because they don't have enough food. Um, But if they have big winters, then they have to get out of the park to go to lower elevations. And also the wolves continue to, to work on the bison and chase them out of the park, which chases them into neighboring ranch lands and ranchers don't want the brucellosis in their herd. So they're going to thin the bison herd in Yellowstone uh, beginning, I guess, any day. And as part of the management tool that is used in Yellowstone Park to manage, to manage bison. And so it begs the question, if they're willing to manage bison like this, why aren't they willing to manage wolves in the same manner? Uh, a... A very troubling element of the reintroduction to wolves in Yellowstone has been the idea behind reintroducing the wolves was that they would help restore the ecosystem, of course, which was long ago uh, put out of balance by the destruction of, of mammalian predators such as wolves. But the wolves that were reintroduced in Yellowstone came from a different gene line than gene pool than those that historically had been there. And it turns out those wolves, first of all, were a lot more successful than people ever thought they would be, and um, that they were a bigger predator than people ever thought they would be. So the um, issue is the number of elk in and around Yellowstone Park has been has, has declined significantly. That was part of the goal of, of wolves. But it has come at a consequence that um, leads to other factors which, which, frankly, were considered. So it takes me to this question of where we are going to be talking about a lot in the coming years because it's, it's probably the, one of the biggest issues facing conservation. Uh, as we've touched on the air with Kerry Luft uh, of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation and others, We've touched on this program, which is heralded by the states and the federal government, the Department of Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, called R3, Recruit, Retain, and Reactivate. And the whole idea is to have hunter numbers uh, increase so that hunting remains viable in America. 
So how does this relate to Yellowstone Park, for example? The state of Montana has seen the number of elk decline. And ranchers all around Yellowstone, prior to the introduction of wolves, had fairly large concessions for the leasing of their lands to outfitters for the hunting of elk. It provided opportunity. Well, as the wolves devoured the elk in Yellowstone and outside of Yellowstone, uh, the opportunity available to sportsmen and women to hunt elk and other big game uh, has declined. So, on one hand, Montana is one of the leading advocates of, of increasing hunting numbers. On the other, things are taking place that are constricting the ability of, of it recruiting more hunters. And if you go across America, the overriding question, which I hope is continuously asked, is what is the objective of R3, recruit, retain, and reactivate? How many hunters in fact, is a acceptable, is going to be considered to be success. What's the successful level of R3? And then the question really begs, in today's world, what are more hunters supposed to hunt, and where are they supposed to hunt these species? And this is a question that should be asked of every single Department of Natural Resources in all 50 states each of whom has now created a department and overhead for R3 programs, as have most of the major conservation organizations that are in the business of, of helping to further habitat conservation for the interests of hunters. Uh, I recently was with a group of, of highly esteemed individuals who have spent their life working in the conservation field from the private sector, not working for conservation organizations, but rather serving on the boards of, of a variety of organizations um, across the board, actually, of, from everything from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation to uh, Ducks Unlimited, to Delta Waterfowl, to uh, Wild Turkey Federation, to Rough Grouse Society. And the entire discussion was, who asked us before states began to spend millions of dollars trying to recruit more hunters. Did anyone ask hunters, the people who have been footing the bills and who are the motivating force, men and women, behind advancing the interests of hunting in America, whether it be hunting for quail or hunting for elk or moose, it doesn't matter. Did anyone ask the individuals who were actively in the field if they thought there was a problem this is a rhetorical question, really, if they thought there was a problem with a lack of hunters or if they thought there was a problem with too much to hunt and not enough people to hunt them or too many places to hunt and therefore there could be a lot more hunters, the answer is, of course not. This was something designed primarily to attract Pittman-Robertson funds so that states could begin the effort of trying to replace what they think is a diminishing number of hunters. In fact, that's true. There are a diminishing number of hunters in most states, not all states, but in most states. And if you really dig into it, the question is, why are there a diminishing number of hunters? And the answer is, we don't really know. 
But before we try to go and spend, which we will now, tens of millions of dollars a year, it would behoove us to understand the issue or the root cause. Could it be that hunter numbers have declined because the opportunity to hunt, whether it be quail or pheasants or ducks or elk, has also declined? And what about turkeys? The growth in hunting numbers for a large part from the 1970s through about, well, 2015, a lot of it came from turkey hunting. So now we're over 2 million people hunting turkeys in, North, in America from a species that wasn't hunted at all. But now across a lot of their range, turkeys appear to be in trouble. We don't know why. So before I go to break, I, I think it's important that, that whether you hunt or not, the real issue is what does the future of wildlife management look like with the role of hunters to provide management of species? and also the economics that are provided by hunters that fund, helped fund, in part, nowhere near in totality, help fund the Fish and Wildlife Agencies of a variety of states. And so before we head off, which, which it seems like everybody is doing, let's understand the dynamics of what are people supposed to hunt and where are they supposed to hunt them beyond the capacity limits that we have today. And if there is an underutilization of, of habitat for hunting, let's find out where it is. And if, there's an, if there are species that can be hunted to a far greater degree than today takes place, let's understand what they are. But the general consensus from this group of people that I spent several days with this past week was, we don't think, we don't know, but we think it's highly improbable that there are, in fact, species that need to be hunted to a much higher level. And we also don't think there's a habitat or areas that can sustain hunting at a level beyond what it is today. And then this conversation ranged off into public lands versus private lands. It's pretty well understood that private land hunting in America is either owned or leased by individuals who have an interest in hunting, whether it's big game or ducks or quail or whatever it might be. And that public lands in America are, are, are poorly managed to be, are, are, are not managed to the extent possible in most cases to meet the expectations of the public hunter. So that is, I, I don't want to say poorly managed, but not managed to the expectations. And in Illinois, for example, which I'll get to when I come back from the break, we have many areas that were in fact given by private individuals to the state to help advance public hunting and recreational opportunity, which the state has never maintained and now they've fallen apart. I'll be back with much more on the Great Outdoors Show. And when I do, I'm going to quickly talk about a couple of areas in Illinois that serve as an example of what perhaps can be done better. And then I want to talk about Argentina. You're listening to Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. 
The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And before I leave the subject of what are people supposed to hunt and where are they supposed to go, which I'll be coming back to with individuals who have spent a lot of their time thinking about this. I just want to point out in Illinois a prime example of an individual who was a leading philanthropist and conservationist and who fervently believed that it was very important that we have high-quality public hunting areas for individuals who couldn't afford to lease land or own property to be able to hunt. His name was Gaylord Donnelly a giant in conservation. I was fortunate to know him quite well. He left his prized hunting property on the Illinois River. It's called Windbone Bottom, which now is called Donnelly Depew to the state of Illinois. This is an example of a property that looks nothing like it did when Mr. Donnelly was operating it. And it's an example of how the state is often gifted properties, but then the state does not have the ability, the know-how perhaps, and certainly the means to manage these properties. So a property that was given for the public trust is now just a shell of what it once was. One of the great places in the Illinois River designed to provide public hunting opportunity provides very little because it holds very few birds because of the management. So All that comes back to the question, if we want to have more hunters, what are they supposed to hunt? Where are they supposed to hunt them? I want to quickly go in the time left to Argentina, a place that we haven't been able to go for almost two years, a place that tens of thousands of Americans have gone historically to hunt and fish. For the next couple minutes, though, I want to talk about hunting in Argentina as Argentina has opened up. Will the lodges that so many people frequented, will they be there? And what of the bird populations with no hunting in Argentina for the past couple of years, the reports that I've received from individuals in Argentina are the populations of doves have exploded. Prior to the outbreak of COVID, the lodges in Cordova, the most famous place in all Argentina, were beginning to restrict the number of months that were hunted because the population, which they thought was inexhaustible, which we all know from experiences in the United States is never the case, were beginning to decline significantly. So now with two years of no hunting, the word has it, dove populations have exploded and are beginning to return to really prolific numbers. Pigeon populations are doing the same. Perdice populations appear to be doing well. But how will Americans be able to 
go to Argentina and hunt in what is likely to be a relatively few number of lodges, and will the price, therefore, of those lodges go up dramatically? We'll talk more about it, but as the world reemerges from COVID, South America has long been a destination, Argentina in particular, Uruguay less so. Chile, certainly for fishing, but Argentina has been the gold standard of where Americans have gone to hunt, and the question is, will there be many lodges left that are going to permit them to be able to hunt? We'll find out soon as we move into the, right now it's the middle of summer in Argentina. In fact, uh, December 21st will be the our equivalent of June 21st, the longest day in the Northern Hemisphere, so they're just about to the longest day in the Southern Hemisphere, which is time when no hunting was taking place anyway. But we'll certainly begin to know by March what the opportunities are. Before I leave the show, I want to just quickly talk about the opening of federal areas. I commented last week about the number of federal areas that remain closed, parking lots, access, while the demand from the public has never been higher, ever been higher, to access areas to hike, fish, hunt, recreate. And at some point, hopefully, and I think this is going to have to come from, frankly, it's going to have to come from Congress. We'll see what happens. They're going to have to be mandates that the Bureau of Reclamation and the Bureau of Land Management and Interior Department open up their parking lots and return to a level where the people who are paying the bills can actually access the lands. It's just unbelievable to think that we still have padlocks and parking lots, not where there even was an individual who was stationed to oversee anything, just padlocks on parking lots so you can't access them, and signs that say, due to COVID, and I'm quoting directly, due to COVID and the desire not to have individuals concentrate, this parking lot is closed. Congregate, rather. This parking lot is closed. I, I, and then you park your car and you head off into the wilderness or you head off on a trail and you're not likely to see anybody anyway. It's not as though people congregate in parking lots of, of Bureau of Reclamation lands or Bureau of Land Management lands or Department of Interior lands. No, they use those lands to access. They use those parking lots or roads to access areas for hiking trails or to go hunting or to go fishing. It's unbelievable that we have not reopened those, and hopefully it takes place very soon as we are seeing incredible pressure on our outdoor spaces and, and amazingly, a federal government that seems to think that, that just because everyone else is going back to work that they don't have to. We'll see what happens, and if someone from the Bureau of Land Management is listening, how about opening some parking lots across the American West so people can access lands? Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. I'll be back next Sunday morning with much more on the great outdoors.